Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Companionship with Jesus happens on the way of the cross. That's what he's saying here. In other words, he knows he's calling them to something that is unpleasant, something that is to some degree undesirable, but he's also letting them know that there's something in this that you can't see right now that actually will make it all worthwhile. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36, in a message titled, We Would See Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Brian. What we're going to do today is we're going to focus in on just a few verses. Now, we've read these verses, but what I want to really think about together with you today is the request that came to see Jesus. These Greeks, we read here in the text, they approached Philip, and Philip went to Andrew, and they came with this request, sir, we would like to see Jesus. I would imagine that there are a lot more people than we think who, like these Greeks, are curious about and interested in seeing Jesus. I I think we tend to think, and I think this is happening in the church, I think there's a tendency to think that because society has become so secularized and and so, in, in some ways, very much opposed to God and to the ways of God and so forth. I think we're tempted to think that nobody out there has any interest in Jesus at all. Why do we even bother? Lord, what are we even doing here? Why don't you just make the rapture happen so we can all get out of here because nobody cares? I don't think that's actually the case. I think there are more people than we would imagine. I remember years ago watching an interview with Michael J. Fox And Michael J. Fox was asked by this interviewer, if you could talk to anybody from history, if you could have an audience with them, ask them questions, who would it be? And Michael J. Fox, without skipping a beat, he said, Jesus Christ, and completely shocked the interviewer. (laughs) That's not who they were thinking he was going to say. But, you know, I think that he, in that moment, was representative of more people in our culture than we might think. So the question is, how are people going to see Jesus? That's the request. We would see Jesus. How are people going to see Jesus? Well, the short answer is that they are going to see him through us. They're going to see him through us. That's the simple answer. But of course, I want to elaborate on that. So I want us to see Here in the passage, I want us to see how Jesus answers the question. They come to him with this request. I want us to see how Jesus answers 
the question here by telling us both what he must do in order for the world to see him and what his followers must do if the world is going to see him. Perhaps you remember a few weeks back that Char was teaching and he talked about our vision statement as a local church. And he said that our vision statement is that we are a Jesus-formed community on mission. So another question, what, what is the mission? What does that mean that we are on mission? Well, here it is. It is both to show and tell the world about the Son who came to glorify the Father by being lifted up. The text tells us here, Jesus said, and I, if I am lifted up, and that's a reference to his crucifixion. If I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So let's jump into the story. I want us to look at the story, and then we're going to focus our attention today on verses 24, 25, and 26, okay? So, but we pick up in verse 20. So now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Uh, They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, the Greeks here are, they're actual Greeks. They would be people who probably, since they're at this festival, they're probably at least in the category of God-fearers. So there were the Jewish people who were They were the people of God. That's how they saw themselves. But then there were proselytes. There were people who had converted to Judaism, and they were considered to be part of the the whole Jewish family. But they were a little bit of, um, you know, sort of second-class family members. But then there were the God-fearers. There were those who were... They, they hadn't gone all the way of converting to Judaism, but they, they had expressed an interest in the God of Israel. And so that's who these people are, probably more God-fearers than proselytes. But the word Greek here is used oftentimes as a synonym in the New Testament for Gentile, which means non-Jewish peoples. So this is the question. The question is, how are the non-Jewish peoples going to see the Lord? How are they going to see the Savior? And so Jesus, of course, is revealing himself to the nation. But even at this point, they don't know exactly who he is. They're still in the dark a bit about his true identity. So the only way that the Greeks and even the Jews could see Jesus in the truest and fullest sense of who he really is would be 
for him to die and remove the barrier of sin that barred all mankind from the deep and intimate relationship that God longed to have with those who he had created in his image. And, and so that's what Jesus is actually going to go on to talk about. When he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, he meant something that nobody would have imagined. Now, in their mind, when Jesus said that, they would have thought, okay, this is the time that he is going to overthrow our oppressors. Those that are believing he's the Messiah, they're thinking, okay, this is, this is it. This is the time has come now. He is going to restore the Davidic kingdom. He's going to take us from being oppressed and he's going to put us on top. He's going to knock the Romans out of their place. That's what they would have thought about him being glorified. But Jesus has a completely different way in which he is going to be glorified. And so he says in verse 24, very truly, I tell you, Unless a grain or a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed or it remains alone. But if it dies, it will produce much fruit. And then he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus says, the hour has come. This is his answer. These Greeks want to see you. How are people going to see you? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In order for this to happen, he is going to die. He is the grain of wheat that is going to fall into the ground. And so he uses this illustration. He's telling them what he is about to do. And by doing this, he will be glorified. And simultaneously, he will also glorify the Father. But he's not only talking about what he or how he will glorify the Father. He's also, as we can see, he's also talking about us, his followers. In answer to the question or the request to see Jesus, he's saying this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm the seed that's going to fall into the ground and die. And that way, I'm going to make the way for people to come and to see God in the fullest sense. And then what he's saying is, and you're going to have to die as well. And he's speaking to his followers. So to his followers, he's saying, you're going to have to die because it's through your dying, it's through your following me on the path of the cross that God is going to be able to work through you to bring the knowledge of himself to other people. That's what is being talked about here by Jesus. Now, I want us to look at these verses 25 and 26 more closely, but I want to look at 26 before we look at 25. So look at verse 26. He says, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So notice this. Jesus says that serving him equals following him. And remember, He's on the way 
to the cross. So he's saying to those who serve me, to serve me, you must go the way that I am going. You must go the way of the cross. Now, of course, the way of the cross, in their minds, everybody would have understood immediately. He's talking about death, and he's not just talking about death. He's talking about a brutal death. He's talking about a gruesome death. You know, sometimes in our cultural time, we, the cross is, it no longer really necessarily signifies what it originally did. In our day, the cross symbolizes sometimes something like compassion. Oftentimes, it symbolizes love. And, and of course, in one sense, it does symbolize those things because it was through the death of Jesus that he showed his love and compassion. But in the ancient world, at the time of Jesus, when he spoke about going to the cross, everybody understood that he was talking about something that nobody actually wanted to have as an experience. But he says, those who serve me must follow me. They must follow me in the way of the cross. But then he says something really interesting. He says, notice, he says, whoever serves me must follow me. But then he says this, and where I am, my servant also will be. Now, when I think of the way of the cross, my natural inclination is to not go down that road. I don't want to go the way of the cross. But here's an interesting thing that one does discover, but Jesus told us in advance that this would be the case. Companionship with Jesus happens on the way of the cross. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, where I am, there my servant will be also. In other words, he knows he's calling them to something that is unpleasant, something that is to some degree undesirable, but he's also letting them know that there's something in this that you can't see right now that actually will make it all worthwhile. It's companionship with me. And everyone who's followed the path of the cross through the hardships, through the difficulties, through the challenges, everyone would testify to, yes, there's all kinds of bitter aspects to this, but then there is a deep sweetness that sort of covers for all of those other things. It's like Jesus, it says about Jesus when he was, when he died himself, it says that he endured the cross, literally, he endured the cross. It says he did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured this cross. He despised the shame, but he did it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? The joy was the fact that he was going to save us and bring us into a relationship with him. And that's what he longed for. So the cross was the only way to get there. And he despised that part of it, but it was the joy that drove him. So when I think as a Christian about following Jesus and making him known and recognizing that there's going to have to be death involved, that's the bitter part. But then I recognize that there is also a joy that is set before us. And it's that Jesus himself is in this. And we find him in this. And so he tells us that. And then the third thing he says there is he says that to those who serve him by following him, he says, them my father will honor. So 
Even though the way of the cross seems like the path we would really want to avoid, Jesus is saying, I'm there, and the Father honors those who come there. Now, verse 25 is where we really want to land today. And look what he says. We read it already, but let me read it again. Verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Wow, these are, these are some of the hard sayings of Jesus. You know, years ago, a man named F.F. F. Bruce, I don't know, I can't remember what his first name was, but he goes as an author by F.F. F. Bruce. He wrote a book I have in my library, and the book is entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And you know, there are some hard sayings of Jesus. And the time when Jesus was here preaching and teaching, there were some hard sayings. There were times when when the sayings were so hard, people said, I can't hang with this. Remember, we read about that back in the sixth chapter of John's gospel. Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And some people are saying, no, we can't do that. We're going to leave. And many left him, it says. And then... Remember, he turned to them who who were there, his closest followers, and he said, are you going to leave me also? And Peter said, Lord, Peter had the right answer. He said, Lord, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Yes, granted, these are hard sayings, but where else are we going to go? So we find times in the Gospels where Jesus is saying these hard things. Where Jesus is saying, if anyone comes after me, let them deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow me. Those that love their lives will lose their lives. But those who lose their lives will keep them for everlasting life. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, sister, brother, husband, wife, children... Even their own life, they cannot be my disciple. We hear that, we're like, whoa, Jesus, what, what do you mean? Those are hard sayings. Well, what does he mean? What does he mean? He says, those that love their lives will lose it. What does he mean by that? Well, this is what he means. Loving your life in the sense that Jesus is using it here, and notice he's using it in a negative sense. Loving your life means living for yourself rather than living for God. That's what loving your life is, simply that. Living for yourself rather than living for God. Then he says, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. What does he mean by hate? Well, the word hate many times means exactly what it sounds like it means. Like, oh, I hate that. I detest that. I abhor that. And that is, of course, a meaning of the word hate. But the word, remember, the Bible is written originally, the New Testament, in Greek and translated into English. So the Greek word, like all words, really, oftentimes has to be understood in its context. So there are times when this Greek word that you could say you could translate detest or abhor, there are also times when it simply means to love less. And that's the way Jesus is using it here. 
Because, of course, Jesus doesn't want us to hate anybody. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus even said, love your enemies. So Jesus isn't confused. He's not telling us, on the one hand, to love our neighbor and love our enemies and then hate your parents and hate your children and hate your spouse. No, he's not doing that. What he's saying, though, is that we are to love less. Not a morbid self-loathing or an intentional harming of oneself, but rather loving your life less than you love Christ. Loving your will less than his will. See, that's what it means to, to hate your life. It's like in comparison, I love Jesus more than I love me. I love the will of God, the call of God, the purposes of God, the plan of God more than I love my own plan, purpose, and will. That's what he means to hate your life. Now, bearing fruit. Remember, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears fruit. The fruit includes this showing Christ to a lost and dying world, glorifying the Father. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what my servants will do. They'll follow me, and this is what will happen. They will bear fruit. They will show me to a lost and dying world. They will glorify the Father. But this is what we all must realize that none of this has ever been done, nor will it ever be done, by self-centered, self-indulgent, pleasure-seeking, comfort-loving churchgoers. It'll never happen. Now, what are we doing? We're a Jesus-formed church on mission. What's our mission? Our mission is to show Jesus to the world. The world that wants to see Jesus, even though... It might not seem like they want to see Jesus, but they do. In many cases, people are just waiting to see a real, genuine picture of what Jesus is like. And we are the ones who get to show them that. But you see, I will never show anybody Jesus if I'm living for myself. It doesn't happen. If it's about me, then it won't be about Jesus. And so this thing of showing Jesus to a lost world, bearing fruit, glorifying the Father, it's only ever been done by those who sacrifice their time, their energy, their gifts, their resources, their lives as Jesus did. Like a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies and brings forth fruit, that's what we must do. Now listen, I don't, probably don't have to tell you this, but maybe I do. I don't think there's ever been a more self-centered generation than the one we find ourselves living in right now. And it's not just one demographic. It's not just millennials. It's not the Gen Zers. You know, these are all the sociological labels that people get tagged with. Uh, some of you are Gen Xers. And some of you are baby boomers. And, you know, these are, these are all 
generational categories. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Can Science Explain Everything? by Dr. John Lennox. Doesn't science depend on reason? While Christianity does so not upon reason, but faith. So can scientists also believe in God? In his book, Can Science Explain Everything? Dr. John Lennox answers those very questions and many more that consider the relationship between science and the Christian faith. Our current culture has been engaged in a science and God debate. He is not arguing for the existence of God, but for the compatibility of God and science. Dr. John Lennox addresses many common modern-day misconceptions, not just about God, but even about science itself. If you want to know more about the relationship between God and science, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.